Welcome again to Big Valley Grace, especially if this is your first time with us. Welcome to all of you online, and uh, it was good to be over in the venue for a little bit. Thank you for all of you that serve uh, over there. I was just standing back here, and, and I was just overwhelmed with, um, I don't know, gratitude, thankfulness, as I once again was thinking about all of the adults that... Um, are serving in our teenage ministries right now. There are some things we do around here, you have to have adults. You can't take kids to camp without adults. You have to have adult supervision. You have to have adults that are willing to invest time and energy and effort with a bunch of adolescents. And I was just thinking about all of those people in our church who love the Lord deeply and it spills over into a love for God's people and they understand uh, our mission to make disciples. And as I was just sitting back there praying, I I began to think about all of our uh, Sunday school teachers that are over here in Ohana's Island and those that are, that are, you know, back in our um, portables And uh, I don't know all their names. I just know that there's an army of men and women who love Jesus deeply. And it spills over into a a love for their church. And right now they're, they're discipling kids and loving our kids, maybe our grandkids. And I was just really, really thankful for all of them. And then, you know, you, you start to think about all of those that just serve in these other areas, whether they're ushers or greeters or those that stand at the doors to welcome people, the group that's out there driving around on those little carts, protecting our cars, helping drive some of you in here today. And I was just, just thankful for all of them, their love for the Lord, and it just spills over into a love for the Lord's church, which is you, God's people. All of you that serve over in the venue, those of you that are up in that room making sure camera angles are right and sound systems are running and those of you working all of the the cameras. It's uh, really quite a deal when the body of Christ comes together and works together. A bunch of imperfect people, a bunch of people that are on a journey to become more and more like Jesus. And uh, we, we come together and we see a need in our community. And so together, you know, over a thousand shoes, you know, I brought five more pair out here and, you know, from someone who just gave them to me out, out there. And that doesn't even include what happens down here midweek. All of the children's ministries and youth ministries and all of the things that will, that will go on. And, you know, usually, I don't know, there's, I don't know how many it is, 70, 80 people up here in our choir and orchestra that give up a Wednesday night to come down here and learn songs and make sure they're all in the right keys and learn the music and all the musicians. And, and they come here on Sundays and, and, and serve the Lord. It's... Um, quite a deal. It really is. And it's all about trying to fulfill that great command to go and make disciples. 
our men's ministries, our women's ministries, our CR ministries, just crazy what the Lord does here. And whenever we have an event like the women's event, look, if you haven't signed up or you haven't been a part of our women's events, you need to go out there and sign up and come down here and just fellowship with other gals, hang out with other gals, uh, be encouraged with other gals, get into the word of God with other gals. It's, it's, really, it's re- really something. And I'm so thankful for what Pastor Lonnie's doing, trying to really motivate us and help us see the power uh, of, of being in smaller groups. This is great. Looking at the back of someone's neck for an hour and a half is, is a good thing to do. God wants us to meet like this, but he also wants us to get in circles and get to know each other at a whole different level and, and pray together and laugh together and cry together and read the scriptures together, or whatever all those things are. And we've got a big push coming up here next month where we really are praying that God's Holy Spirit would move in all of your lives, especially those of you that may not be in a small group, whether it be with a group of men or a group of women or whatever it is in your homes. And uh, we're just praying that the Holy Spirit would really, really move. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we're uh, in a series where we're going through the Gospel of John together. Okay, or the book of John together. And John was one of Jesus's uh, like best friends, dearest friends. They, they would have hung out together. They would have had a lot of breakfasts together, uh, lunches, dinners together. Uh, if there would have been coffee shops back then, they would have gone and hung out at a coffee shop together and just enjoyed life together. John actually uh, heard the sermons that Jesus preached. John actually saw the miracles that Jesus performed. In other words, John was an eyewitness to the life uh, of Jesus. He, He was actually there, and he's recorded it for us. And so we've just kinda been walking through this uh, great, great book uh, t- together. And maybe to set up today's message, I need to go back to John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, we have really the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus actually praying. And in that prayer, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples. And ultimately, believe it or not, he, he prays for us. He, he, he prays for all of those that will come to faith in Christ through the ministry of his original guys. And so chapter 17 is this great prayer of Jesus. You get to chapter 18, and that's where Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes down across the Kidron Valley, ends up in this great garden, this famous garden, and he's got his guys with him. And it's in this garden that the Roman soldiers, the temple guard, along with Judas, show up and they arrest Jesus. You get to chapter 19, which we looked at last week, and chapter 19 is the chapter where Jesus actually dies on a, on a cross. And if you were here last week, I I did my best to have you imagine that day through images. And um, 
you know, for those of us that are, are married, we all have our wedding day album. And our wedding day album records the day in order. For instance, uh, uh, ladies, uh, those of you that are married, you know, the first pictures might be of you getting up in the morning, and then there are pictures of you getting your hair done and your makeup done, and then there's pictures of you with your dress on, and, and then there's pictures of you with your special gals gathered around you, and then there's pictures of you uh, arriving at the church or the, or the location, then, then there's pictures of you walking down the aisle. And, and then there's this great picture of, of you and your husband, you know, taking your vows and exchanging the rings and all of that. In other words, the album kind of takes you through a very, very significant day. And it's always done in order. John chapter 19 is like that wedding album. John takes us through Friday. We call it Good Friday today, okay? Now, what we tend to think of when we think of Good Friday is the cross. At your wedding, the big moment is when you say, I do, right? But there's a whole lot of things that happen before you say, I do, that are recorded in that album. And in John chapter 19, John records a whole lot of things that happen before we get to the, the big moment. And I gave you some images. And the first picture I wanted you to kind of imagine in your mind was Jesus being flogged, Jesus being tortured. That's the first image that John tells us about. And remember, John was there. This was probably in a little private courtyard, if you will. But somehow John got in there. John's watching this. He sees it with his own eyes. Now, he doesn't write this gospel um, uh, for 50 years. So it's 50 years after he actually saw this happen. He's remembering it. 50 years have gone by, and he's writing it down. And one of the things in the album is, is he wanted you to remember that long before the cross, Jesus was beaten and tortured and humiliated. Long before there was a cross. And he wanted you to remember that. He didn't want you to forget that. The second image was, I, I had you picture Jesus before Pilate and the religious leaders and, and the crowd. You know, it's one thing, I, I think, to be beaten and tortured and humiliated kind of in private. Now, you know, Pilate brings him out to the crowd. Now the humiliation is, is now public. And there's that great line in there from Pilate when he said, Behold the man! And I think the reason why he said, behold, the man was because he was so beaten, he was so tortured, there was so much blood all over him that the crowd wouldn't even have recognized him. And Pilate is trying to tell these people, hey, look, that's the guy. That's Jesus. The third picture that I had you kind of imagine was Jesus and Pilate having a private conversation. There comes this moment where Pilate calls Jesus back into his little courtyard area and says, hey, look, man, who are you? And Jesus doesn't really say anything. And then Pilate says, hey, listen, Jesus, don't you understand 
that I, I got power. Don't you understand? I got authority. In fact, I have so much power and authority that I could let you go right now. I got so much power and authority, I can have, have you put up on a cross. Don't you understand who, who's in this room who's got all the power and authority? And that's when Jesus speaks up. And Jesus says, no, no, Pilate, you got this wrong. The only power, the only authority you have is simply because it came from above. Just a great, great uh, moment. Then the fourth picture was I wanted you to picture Jesus carrying his own cross down the, the streets of Jerusalem. John would have watched all this gone down. He knew the alleys. He knew the streetways. And I'm sure there he was. And he, he, he saw this. And he wanted you to, to remember this. He wanted you to remember that after the beatings and the torture and the humiliation and all of that, now Jesus is carrying his own cross down the streets of Jerusalem to where he's ultimately going to die. And I had you imagine, if you were here last week, imagine somebody walking down J Street with a, an electric chair on their back or walking down J Street with a gas chamber on your back. Man, that'd be just brutal, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be crazy to see somebody carrying their own gas chamber? The very thing that they're going to die in. That's what Jesus is doing. That's a modern day context. He's simply carrying the very thing that he's going to die on. And, you know, because of all the blood loss and because of all that, uh, John doesn't record it. But another gospel writer does. That cross beam was just too heavy. He couldn't carry it. And he finally falls to the ground and drops it. And then and another writer tells us that somebody else actually is going to carry that cross all the way to uh, where he's going to be crucified. And then I had you picture Jesus actually hanging on the cross. And John, John was there. He, he, he literally was there. He literally saw this happening. He's not dead yet. But you have to wonder what was running through John's mind. Man, this is crazy. This last three and a half years has been unbelievable. I've heard that man preach sermons that no man could preach. I, I saw him do miracles that nobody could do. That man cared about people deeply. What? What's happening? He saw it. He was an eyewitness to this very moment. And then I had you picture Jesus behind, you know, the, uh, or actually taking his last breath. John, John knew he was dead. Mary was there, Jesus' mother. And John records those famous Three words, the last three words that come from the mouth of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. And he died. It is finished. The redemptive work is finished. Jesus wasn't finished, he's still working in our lives today. It is finished. I don't even think John really knew what that meant at that time. While he's standing there, he thinks it's over. 
Remember, he writes this gospel 50 years later, so he knows chapter 21's coming. He knows chapter 20's coming. At the time that he's witnessing this, he doesn't know. It's Friday. He may have thought, no, it's not it is finished. You're finished. I guess I'm finished. I don't know what I'm going to do now. The last three and a half years have been fantastic. I I guess I'm just going to go about my life. I, I don't know. And then the last picture I had you think about in this album was imagine Jesus behind this, the stone. John knew where that place was. He, 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 he saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body off of the cross. He, he, he knew where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus. He knew. He, 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 he could look and say, this is crazy. I have to believe that he probably thought to himself, whoa, 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 maybe they're coming after me next. Everybody knows I was, you know, close to Jesus. Everybody, you know, saw me in, in, you know, around Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, doing life with Jesus. They, they saw me at uh, all of his miracles, basically. Maybe the religious Jews or, or the Romans are going to come after me next. Maybe that's where I'm going to end up, is behind a, you know, buried dead. This is where we left off last weekend. Jesus is dead and buried and behind a stone. That's how chapter 19 ends. Now, thank God there's a chapter 20, right? Thank the Lord there's a chapter 20. So let's read it together. Not all of it, but some of it. Look at John chapter 20, look at verse 1. Remember, he's behind the stone, it's Friday. Bible says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, That's John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. At this moment, Mary thinks someone's, you know, was a grave robber. She has no clue what's going on. She thinks somebody just took the body. Peter and the other Disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think it's amazing that John remembered that 50 years later. Look, the word of God is the word of God, every bit of it. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit brought that back to John's memory. And I don't, I, I don't know what it is, but John, John wanted everybody to know, hey, listen, man, hey, there was a sprint and I beat the guy. He was a little overweight. I don't know. Too much fish. I told him he needed to work out a little more. He needed to get to the club. Verse five, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, but he did go in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart 
from the other wrappings. Okay, got this picture? Verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. So John's taking this all in and the Holy Spirit is opening his eyes to some truth. Now, he didn't know the, the, the truth fully at this moment. But, but God's obviously doing something in his mind. He, he's being drawn to the truth here. Verse 10, then they went home. Man, wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall then? These two guys walking back, talking about what was going on, and then getting home, talking to their buddies, their friends, I don't know, their spouse. Wow. Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb, Crying as she wept, she stooped in and looked in. She saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Verse 13, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her, Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And, and beloved, let me just make this comment here. I think she's in so much pain and so much sorrow over what took place on Friday, over all the confusion and, and just anxiousness of Saturday, and now the body's missing and there's more pain, there's more confusion, that in the midst of her pain, she didn't recognize Jesus. And I think that can happen to us. I think sometimes when the, the, the stuff of life, kidney punch us. We, we, we experience difficult times in our personal lives, our marriage, our families, our business, or whatever it is, and the world kind of crashes down on us. I think it's easy to forget Jesus. I think it's easy not to recognize him. I think it's easy to forget the truths that he left us. At least I found that to be the fact in my own life. How's that? I think that's what's happening here. Mary's in so much pain and sorrow, she didn't even recognize Jesus. Verse 15. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought this guy was the gardener. This is just great. This is great. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll go get him. Once again, she thinks there was a grave robber. Hey, listen, if you're the guy... Just tell me and, you know, it's just between us. I won't tell anybody. I just want to know where Jesus is. It's just amazing. Verse 16, Mary. Mary. Just one word. Said her name. Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani which is the Hebrew word for teacher. Verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascended to my Father and to your Father, to, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. And I'm gonna stop right there. Okay, this is the, the climax, if you will, of the whole book of, of John. 
This is what John has been pointing to since, you know, the first words of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what makes it even more exciting was the fact that John was there. He was an actual eyewitness to this. So every time we read it together like we did today, or you read it alone in your quiet time with the Lord, or you read it with your small group or whatever, you're actually reading an eyewitness account of this incredible moment. Dr. MacArthur said this about the resurrection. He said, quote, I think it's fair to say that the whole of Christianity is built on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. If there is no resurrection, God is Satan and the Bible is full of lies. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation, no forgiveness, no hope, no heaven. You cannot pull the resurrection out of the structure of Christianity without it collapsing completely. Wow. I totally agree with that. What we're looking at today, what we're talking about today is super weighty. A lot, of, a lot of weighty things in here, obviously. But the resurrection has to be right there at the top. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your note sheet, okay? Because I got a little thing in there. I want everybody to write a couple things down, okay? So everybody pull out your note sheets, grab a pencil. Everybody's going to do this. Ah, I don't want to do it, Pastor. Just pull the thing out. Make me feel good, okay? Just pull it out. And you can write, you write a few things down here. It's a little resurrection quiz. I got four questions I want to ask you, okay? Uh, the first one is this. In, in, in one word, in one word, what does the resurrection mean to you? Just one word. I want you to write one word down there. See, question number one, one, one word, okay? I asked that question on my Facebook page this week, and it was really fun. Literally in about 24 hours, there was like 300 responses, and it was super cool. It was super encouraging to see the words that you chose or the words of the folks that follow me chose. It was, it was really encouraging. And about 99.8% of you gave me one word. But there's that small percentage, you just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, you had to come up with one, two, a whole sentence or whatever. Here, here are some of the, the words that I, uh, were kind of resonating throughout that thread on my Facebook page. Life. Rebirth, miraculous, salvation, alive, hope. I mean, when you think about the resurrection, can you? Can you boil it down to one word? Did you write something down on that, on that sheet of paper? Question number two, how long was Jesus on earth in his resurrected body? In other words, before Jesus went to be with the Father, to be at the right hand of the Father. How long was he in his resurrected body on planet Earth? In other words, when he walked out of the tomb, how long did he hang around before he goes to, to be with the Father? I want you to write down what you think the, the answer to that is, okay? Okay, you're working, you're thinking, huh. You can find it in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, and it's 40 days. Okay, when he came out of the tomb, for 40 days, he was on planet Earth. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you when you look at this next one, okay? Question number three. About how many people saw the resurrected Lord? 
So he walks out of the tomb. He dies on a Friday. He walks out of the tomb on Sunday. How many people actually saw the resurrected Jesus? About how many? We, we don't have an exact number, but, 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 but get, get, give it a shot. What do, what do you think? What do you think that number is? The answer is it's over 500 people. Beloved, a lot of people think that Jesus was resurrected and then only a few people saw him and then he was gone, but that's not true. He was here for more than a month in his resurrected body and the Bible records a whole bunch of people that saw him. Mary Magdalene saw him. Several women saw him. Peter saw him. Two men on the road to Emmaus saw him. Ten of the apostles saw him. Thomas saw him. Over 500 people in Galilee alone at one time saw him. James, the half-brother of Jesus, saw him. There was a moment when all the apostles saw him. Paul saw him. Beloved, a lot of people saw Jesus Christ after his death. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely indisputable. It wasn't done in secret. The whole city of Jerusalem knew about it, and eventually the whole Roman Empire knew about it. In fact, here we sit 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. If CNN or Fox News had been there, they, they would have carried the story live because it was news. It was huge news. It was so huge. As I said, here we are. Talking about it today. This was an incredible event. John chapter 7 says this, and I'm going to build a little case here. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus had some half brothers. And uh, growing up, you know, I, I mean, there's no doubt they had to think that Jesus was special, right? Hey, you know. Jesus never seems to get in any trouble. <laughs> you know, James was a half-brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James. There's no doubt that Jesus' half-brothers had to sit around at times and go, you know, I don't know what it is about Jesus, but he always just seems to say the right thing. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, I think he's mom's favorite. <laughs> you know I mean, you, you got you to kind of think this through a little bit here. What it must have been like to have Jesus as your brother. And obviously they knew he was special. Obviously they had heard him preach. And I'm sure they went, man, that, that, that dude's unbelievable. I don't know where he's getting his knowledge at, but that guy, can, that guy can speak, man. I'm sure they saw him do some miracles. I'm sure it reminded them of maybe, maybe Moses and the stories of Moses and what he was able to do, you know, with Pharaoh and and, and all of that, and they thought, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe God's just working through him or something. I don't know. But they didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They didn't believe he was the long-awaited Messiah. They didn't believe he was the Savior, you know. They didn't believe it. But something happened that changed Jesus' brothers' lives forever. For example, James, who was his half-brother, went from being an unbeliever to being basically the senior pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. He went from being an unbeliever to being one of the most influential Christian leaders, not only of the first century, but also today, right? I mean, we've all read the book of James. We've all studied the book of James. He went from being an unbeliever, James did, to actually losing his life in a horrible way over his faith in who Jesus was. 
So what happened? What happened to James? What, what happened in his life to cause such a change? Well, the good news is it's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes these words. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, man, I've heard a lot of things. I've been taught a lot of things, but I told you what was most weighty. I, I gave to you what was most important. What was that? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Some of those brothers are still alive. When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, some of the people that had seen Jesus alive were still alive. And then he says, though some have fallen asleep. And then it says, then Jesus appeared to James. See, James, he, he knew Jesus died on that cross. He was there that Friday. He watched all the pain and the torture and the humiliation. He, he was there when Jesus was walking, you know, his cross down the streets of Jerusalem. He knew Jesus had been on a cross. He knew that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken Jesus off the cross and stuck him in a tomb. He knew where that tomb was, and he knew Jesus was dead. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I'll bet you it was a, 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 an a, a, I told you so moment. I didn't believe he was the son of God. I told you so. I told you so as he looked at the tomb. There he is. He's dead behind that rock right there. I told you so. And then something happened, right? He goes from being an unbeliever to being the senior pastor of the ginormous church in Jerusalem. Man, he's used like few people have been used to influence our lives uh, uh, for the faith the book of James. And it's all because he saw with his own eyes the resurrected Jesus. And once he saw Jesus, boom, it all came together. He knew. He, he went from being an unbeliever to being a believer changed his life forever. And question number four, what was the, the topic of the very first sermon ever preached? Now, if you don't get it by now, folks, come on, you need more coffee or something, man. The answer is the resurrection. In Acts chapter two, Peter preached on the resurrection. In fact, it was an Easter message. The very first message ever preached was an Easter message. If you look at the life of the very first church in the book of Acts, the resurrection of Jesus is front and center. In Acts chapters 4, 5, and 10, Peter preaches the resurrection again. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches the resurrection resurrection. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches the resurrection. In Acts chapters 9, 13, and 28, Paul preaches the resurrection. In fact, it would be safe to say that the resurrection of Jesus is found throughout the entire Bible. In Romans, Christ is raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians, he who raised up the Lord Jesus so raise us up also. In Galatians, it is the God, it's God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians, Paul prays that we would understand the great power that we as believers 
uh, 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 that we would understand that power that we have as believers, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. In Philippians, Paul again prays that we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In Colossians, it is God who raised Jesus from the dead. In, In Thessalonians, we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with the him the believers who have died. Peter says in 1 Peter, he has begotten us to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the theme of the resurrection is actually preached by Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am he that was dead and am alive forevermore. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus is found everywhere throughout the New Testament. And way more important, it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago and it doesn't mean anything for us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has unbelievable uh, implications for all of us, even those of us that have gotten saved. Listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter 5. Peter began to preach and he said, you killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. But God, the God of our ancestors, raised Jesus up from the dead. Jesus is the one whom God raised to be on his right side as leader and savior. Through him, through Jesus, all people could change their hearts and lives and have their sins forgiven. Yes, Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago on a Friday and walks out of the tomb on a Sunday. But some of you are here. I don't know how you got here. A friend brought you. You just got up and, you know, showed up here. A lot of times we hear about people just driving down the road and they just sense they're supposed to come in here. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're out in the cafe. Maybe you're over in the venue. I don't know how you're listening to this, but let me tell you something. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has implications in your life if you don't know him. Our our sin separated us from God. Sin is such a, a horrible thing, a weighty thing, that literally some of you might be sitting in here right now and you don't even believe in God. That's how that's how powerful sin is. And there's nothing that you can do to make it all right between you and God. You can't do enough good things. But God loved you. And he made a way to have your sins forgiven. And that was through the life of Jesus when he died on that cross and shed his blood for you and then walked out of that, out of that tomb. Here's the deal. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven today. Listen to me carefully. Heaven is a perfect place, right? It's a place of perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy. There's no sin, no mistakes, no evil, no errors. Heaven is absolutely perfect in every way you could think of. Okay? It's absolutely perfect in every way, which means you got to be perfect to get there. I got to be perfect to get there. And what that means is we're all doomed. 
Because if God were to allow me in or you in to this perfect place, it would take about five seconds for heaven to be like earth. Goofed up, messed up. We're doomed. So God came up with a plan to make you perfect so that you could get into heaven. And that was through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was perfect because Jesus was God. And how do we know that he was God? Because of the resurrection. A lot of people can claim to be God. Lonnie could claim to be God. I could claim to be God. Coach could claim to be God. Andy could claim to be God. Anybody can claim to be God. That's easy to do. Talk is cheap, right? But there's one way you could actually prove you were God. And that is that death would have no impact on your life. You could walk out of a tomb. That, that kind of be the, the sign that, hey, I, I think that guy's a little different. Right? And if you put your trust in Jesus, you get to heaven through his goodness, through his righteousness, through his holiness, through his perfection. He was the only perfect person who ever lived because he was God, which he proved when he walked out of the tomb. And he offers heaven, he offers life eternal to anybody that would surrender their life over to him. Anybody. Let me take us back to John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he who would put their trust in me, the person that would let me kind of be the CEO of their life kind of a thing, will live even though he dies. Sound familiar? Jesus conquered death. Because of the resurrection, your eternal future can be secure. Look, here's the deal. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But there's one thing I know for sure. All of us are going to die at some moment. All of us. It's all in our future. Talk about this all the time, right? You don't have to put that in your day timer. You don't have to put that in your calendar. That's an appointment you'll keep. All of us. It might be because of cancer or a heart attack, some disease, a violent crime, a freak accident. It could be because of poison, old age, or whatever. I don't know what it'll be, but look around. Next year, there probably will be somebody who's not sitting next to you because they died. It could be next weekend. Death is lurking. Doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter what country you live in. Everybody's going to die. As I told you, death is the, is the great equalizer in life. Here's the deal. Your background may be Catholic or Jewish or Protestant or Mormon or Buddhist or Baptist or whatever. I don't care what your background is. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship to Jesus Christ. He wants to change you. He wants to give you a new beginning. He wants to give you a clear conscience. He wants you in heaven with him forever, for, for eternity. That's what the resurrection is all about. The reason why he went through Friday and all of the pain and sorrow and suffering and humiliation was because he wants you to be with him forever in eternity. 
Look, a Christian isn't somebody that accepts a religion. A Christian is somebody who has a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to have every sin, everything you've ever done wrong, completely forgiven? Wouldn't you like to have a clear conscience? Wouldn't you like to acquire a new power that would help you manage the problems that we go through right now? Would you like to know that whatever happens to you when you take your last breath, wow, it's done deal. You, you know exactly what's going to happen. Romans chapter 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a, it's a brand new life. It's a, it's a resurrected life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians says this, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin. Okay? Jesus had no sin. He was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. To be sin for us so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, God took all my sin. God took all your sin. And he put it on Jesus when he was hanging on that cross. It is finished. And he took all that sin into a tomb. And when I put my trust in him, my sin stayed in that tomb. Stayed there. Jesus came, lives in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the Father looks down from heaven. He doesn't see all my imperfections. He doesn't see all my unholiness, all my unrighteousness, all the crummy things I've done and said. Man, and it's more than you'd want to know. Instead, he sees the glory of his son in me. And his son trumps all my sin. Why did God do this? Why? Well, Romans 8, or Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason why he went through Friday, went through all that, was because he loves you. Why, why does he love me, pastor? Why? Why me? Here's the deal. God created everything. God created cows. God created goats. And God created cockroaches. And God created worms. And God created Gerber daisies. God created it all. But there's only one thing he created in his image. You. Human beings were created in the very image of God. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique. We were made in his image. And in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned and rebelled against God, it marred the image, goofed up the image. But God so loved us all throughout the Old Testament. God promised, I'm, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. You take any book of the Old Testament, it's all about the fact that God's Messiah is coming. And you finally get to the New Testament. It's coming up, folks. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. The Savior came. We celebrate that. We call it Christmas, right? He loves you. He loves you deeply. 
If you just simply call out to him, give your life over to him, he'll cleanse you of your sin. He'll change your life. He'll radically change your life. In fact, when we're done here, you can go over into the altar room and over in the venue, there's an altar room over there also. And there'll be some pastors and some elders and some spiritual leaders of our church. We'd love to meet with you. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. And you can give your life to Jesus Christ today and wow, walk out of here a different person. So let me end by, by giving you one more picture in the album. Okay. I have all those pictures on Friday, but, but there's, there's one more. You, you got to end with this one, okay? And that is the empty tomb, okay? That, that, that's the last picture. And when you walk out of here, I want you to remember that, believer. But the tomb was empty. And may that tomb that's empty be an incredible source of encouragement to you this next week. In fact, I want you to know, I got, I got goosebumps just thinking about the implications of an empty tomb. The, the empty tomb isn't just, you know, for Easter. John 19 and John 20 are for every day of the week. And the empty tomb, the, the last picture in the album, may it just be a, a great source of encouragement to all of you as you go through all the stuff you go through. And I got stuff I go through. I got stuff I'm going through right now. And let me just tell you something. I don't think it's any coincidence that God had me land right here where I am at this moment in my life. Because I want you to know something. Hey, I actually went through and was looking at all these, you know, I tried to find a picture. I'm, no, I'm really not any good at this stuff. I should have just let the guys up there do it. But I, I'm looking at all these different pictures of empty tombs. I said, no. You can't, you can't look at 100 pictures going, huh, I wonder what picture I want up there. And not just get a big old fat smile on your face. Knowing that it's real. And that he's alive. And he lives in the hearts of his people. Wow. Why don't you stand? Everybody over in the venue stand. Let me pray and we'll end our time here. And so, Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, last night. Man, it was just so incredible here last night. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Loved the fellowship afterwards. And man, today's been great, Lord. Just being out there with all the kids heading off to camp and and, and just the fellowship out by the cafe and just the buzz, the holy buzz going on around here, people talking and seeing each other and catching up. Thank you, God, for solid ground and just great, great music, wonderful music that just encouraged me greatly. Thank you, Jesus, for the scriptures, because without it, solid ground doesn't have any songs to sing. We, we got nothing. I got nothing to talk about. There'd be no point in coming down here today. But we do have the scriptures. And today we got to look at an eyewitness account of the greatest day in history. And that's the day you walked out of the tomb, Lord. And may we leave here encouraged. 
And Father, I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, don't forget to go get some of their music. Solid Grounds music's out there. And women, go, go sign up, okay? Go sign up for the women's event coming up, all right? Blessings, everybody. Blessings.